All right, I'd like you to uh, draw your attention to the Gospel of Matthew now. Matthew is the first of the four Gospels, the first book of the New Testament. We're going to consider a passage from uh, Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 18, and then we're going to read through verse 27. Now, what we're doing this morning is we're having what I would call a one-off sermon. So, typically, what we'd be doing at this point is returning to our series on Mercy Ministry. Um, we've been having a series on that over the last month or so, um, having an every other week series on which um, the care group questions that we consider uh, in our care groups uh, every other week are based. But um, uh, one of the deacons contacted me this past week and said, you know, maybe it would be a good idea, and I thought he really is making a good point, maybe it would be a good idea if we took uh, the theme of last week's sermon on giving and then, Pastor, do you formulate questions on the basis of that sermon so that we could discuss them informally in our care groups? And I thought, that's good. We should talk about those kinds of things. So um, this coming week, as part of your care groups, you're going to be dealing with uh, questions on giving. But uh, this morning, we're going to be focusing on a passage that uh, addresses, from a Christ-centered perspective, uh, some of the uh, anxieties and some of the fears that we face in this fallen world and I know that each and every one of us has some some form of anxiety or fear that we deal with this is part of being human and it may be a big fear it may be a small one but nonetheless um, we do face them how do we deal with them how do we find comfort in the midst of them and assurance? That's what we're going to be considering here this morning. So Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading at verse 18, where we read these words. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he's saying, are you sure you want to do that? Are you going to be able to follow me? Because you're entering into a difficult life. It's not easy to follow Christ. It's beautiful, but it's not easy. Verse 21. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, especially verse 23 through 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Oh, that we could be flies on the wall, as they say. You know, just observing this. Maybe not being in the boat with the disciples, but just kind of observing this from afar and watching this. And kids... Listen, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus calmed the storm 
And in another account from the gospel writer of Mark, Jesus says, peace be still. When he said those words, what do you think happened? Did the, did the, did the wind and the waves just suddenly stop like that? Or, or did it take a few minutes? What, what was that all like? Oh, it just kind of piques our imaginations, you know. This is, um, this is kind of a simple story. There's not a lot of details to this story, but it's, just because it's a simple story doesn't mean that it's, it's not significant. It's a highly significant story. One of the reasons why it's significant is not only because of the content of the story that we find here, but it's significant because the, what we call the synoptics, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three of the four Gospels, all record this story. And each of the writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, add a few different details, not many, but some details that make the, the story rather um, interesting. But, but because of the fact that, that it's mentioned in all three of the Gospels, because not every account of Jesus' ministry is mentioned in the three or four, but this one is, you know it's significant. And what's kind of interesting about this story is that this is not the first time that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, faced stormy weather on the Sea of Galilee. Because if you go a few chapters on in the book of Matthew, and this is also recorded in the Gospel of John, the, the disciples and Jesus were on the Sea of Galilee, and once again there was a storm and it was during this time that the disciples were alone in the boat, not with Jesus, but alone in the boat. And we read how Jesus begins to, he sees they're in trouble and he begins to walk toward them, but not on land, but on water. And he begins to walk on the water and Peter sees him after the disciples are all wondering, what is this? Is this a ghost? Is this an apparition? And Jesus says, no, it is, it is I. And Peter says, then tell me to come to you. And he does, and Peter begins walking also on water. But then you know the story, right? He begins to sink. He begins to sink more and more into the water. And then, and then he's like, Lord, help me. And Jesus reaches out his hand and takes hold of his hand and keeps him from falling all the way into the water and drowning in the stormy waters. And again, it's like, oh, oh, you of little faith. We are a people of little faith. I wish we could say, and I wish I could say about myself, you know, we are always a people of great faith, you know, but that's not always the case. We don't always trust the Lord. And you know, when, when, when you and I look at our lives and we look at what's going on in the world, and when you read the news, and you read the news of this past week where you find, for instance, oh, Russia and China and Iran and North Korea, they're all like holding a match ready to start the world on fire. Or you read about gas prices going up and inflation going up, and you're wondering where is this all going to end. And you read about the, the divisions in this country socially and, and morally and politically over matters like uh, abortion and sexuality, and these things are just encroaching upon our, our, our lives. And, and then on top of that, that's not enough. You have the, the climatologists who are telling us, well, listen, we all know where the world is going environmentally, and if we don't stop what we're doing, and with all these carbon emissions, if we don't stop soon, the, you know, the world's going to go into meltdown sooner than what we realize. And we, we read these things, and it's not like you can just read them and stand back and go, oh, well, you know. They feed into us more than what we realize And as adults, we have things going on in our lives. And then, and then I just I want to say this, too, before we get into the passage. You know, kids have anxieties, too. 
Last week, Sunday, I thought, you know what? I'm going I'm to gather about six or seven kids together. And I, I gathered them together, young ones, probably anywhere from about, you know, five, six, seven, all the way to maybe 12 or 13. I said, so, so what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And, I'm, you know, they weren't expecting that question. They go, oh, we're not afraid of anything. I'm like, yeah, sure, right? What are you afraid of? So you draw it out of them. We're afraid of the dark, afraid of spiders, afraid of heights, afraid of elevators, being stuck in tight places. I said, what about monsters under your bed at night? No, nobody believes in that. Okay, so here's my point. Kids have micro fears. They have smaller fears, although they're not small to them. Adults have macro fears. They have bigger fears. Because when kids are growing up, they're not wondering, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to afford to continue living here in Abbotsford? How am I going to afford Christian school tuition? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do it? What about my health as I'm getting older? And, and all of this. So the, the point is, it doesn't matter if you're an adult. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how weak you are. It doesn't matter if you're a child. We are all dealing with something. And if, if, if all of us would come to this microphone and go one by one and take a couple hours, we would all have something that is on our minds, whether large or small. So here's my point. There are many times where we feel like the disciples in our passage, where we feel the wind and we see the waves and they're crashing into our boats and we're wondering if we're going to make it, we're wondering if we're going to survive or we're going to drown. And in the midst of all these things, Jesus says, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Let's explore this passage. Let's, let's unpack it. Okay? So what you have in this passage is you have, you have three things, very simple three things. You got Jesus, you got the disciples, and you got a boat. And they get into this boat, and they launch upon this body of water called the Sea of Galilee. Now, in other accounts of this, I think it's in the Gospel of Mark, which you read, is that it's not just Jesus and the disciples who do this, but there are others who got into boats as well. But those others in boats are not recorded in the storm. It's just focused in on Jesus and his disciples. So they launch upon the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is not a small sea. Actually, it's a lake. But it's a lake that is rather long and wide. So it's 13 miles long approximately and approximately 7 miles wide. So it's a big body of water. And the thing that we have to understand about the Sea of Galilee, and it's known for this, is that periodically the, 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 the winds would come from various directions and, and warm, wa warm air and cool air would meet together and cause stormy conditions on this water. And sometimes what happens is you get this in desert regions. So when, when Joy and I were living in Phoenix for, the la for, for about 12 years, every once in a while we would get these storms that would come in from the south. So they'd be kind of begin the southern border and they would move up forward. And I remember walking one night, it was early one evening, and I see in the distance, I see this wave coming. It was in the sky and it was a brown wave. And it was just a long cloud formation, just miles and miles long. But it was strange because it had a, had a look of, way, of, of actually a water wave. And it was kind of rolling and rolling, slowly rolling. And there's a woman on the street while I was taking a walk. And I said to her, I've never seen that before because I hadn't lived in Arizona that long. And she, I said, what is that? And she says, well, that's a, that's a dust storm. And we get them every once in a while. She says, you may want to get back in your house right away. <laughs> so I, I ran to the house, got in the house. And before I knew it, 60-mile-an-hour winds were just, just, just 
just hitting the house, dust everywhere, and just made a huge mess. You get that in desert regions. Well, this is an arid desert region, although this is not a dust storm, kids. This is a windstorm on the Sea of, of Galilee. And we read in our passage, this is how it begins. And when he got into the boat, that is Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. So this wind is creating huge waves, and these waves are coming over the edge into the boat, and water is collecting, and they're thinking, are we going to live or going to die? Because if this, if this boat goes down, and we don't know if the disciples can swim or not, Probably they can, but maybe not all of them. And we, 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 they're, they're, they're very, very concerned at this point, okay? Because these are stormy waters. Now, what I want us to do is I want us to pull back here for just a moment. And I want us to understand that there is a, there's a, in light of the whole of the Bible, if we take this passage in light of the whole Bible, there's something bigger going on here. There's a bigger picture here. And what is that, what is that bigger picture? picture. Well, that stormy, restless, churning sea of Galilee is a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a picture of, of a world and of people in this world who try to live without God. Now you say, where do you, where do you see that? Um, if you put um, Isaiah 57 on there, if you would. Okay, look at this. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. The wicked are like the tossing of the sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters churn up mire and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord my God. Who are the wicked? A lot of times that word wicked, just the very sound of it sounds like people who have just, you know, they're shaking their fist at God, or people are involved in really bad, bad things, like murder or or. Uh, robbery or something like that but when the bible talks about the wicked it's not only talking about people like that but the wicked are also those who simply are not in a living relationship with god they are individuals who have not come to grips with themselves and come to the end of themselves and got down on their knees and cried out for the mercy of a holy god there's a lot of people like that not all wicked people are shaking their fist at god sometimes they're just very they live in the life and they're living a life very distant from the God who made them and calls them to worship them. These are individuals, the Bible says, who by their very nature, when they live apart from God, are restless and they are churning and things are rarely in the end falling into place. There's a, there's a lack of shalom there's a lack of there's a lack of peace now that's not to say that when 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 you know christians worship in a church that they never experience these anxieties or these fears or these forms of restlessness we do but here's the here's the difference we have a resource to go to and we have one who promises us that in the midst of these churnings that we experience in a fallen world he says i i have not abandoned you and i will not abandon you but the wicked don't have that those who are distant from God do not have that. A couple months ago, I was in uh, Mill Lake Park. I was just taking a walk. And as I'm walking along, I see this, this man who's just, he's sitting there like this on a bench, you know. I thought, well, I'm going to go talk to him. So I sat down next to him. I said, what, what's, what's, what's the problem? What's going on? Well, and then he shared his story. And real quick, he was a, he was a man who came, immigrated from Syria. 
and he's a man who lost his wife, and he's a man who lost his children. I don't know what happened there. It was the divorce situation. He's a man without a job, had a job for a while, and then it ended. He's trying to find another job. He's a man who's basically homeless. He has no home. I couldn't smell booze on him. I couldn't smell smokes on him. He didn't have a cart with all his possessions. He was just a man who was down and out. I said, what do you sleep at night? He said, sometimes I sleep in a shelter, but I don't always like what's going on in the shelter, so sometimes I sleep in the park. I said, you I, said I don't even see a blanket. Do you have a blanket? He says, no, I just have my coat, and he goes like this, you know. So I asked if I could pray for him, and we prayed together, and then I went on my way. But this is, this is a man, this is a man who's in the process of drowning, and there are many like that in this city. Well, at this point, as we get back to the storm, this is the way the disciples feel. They feel as if they are in the process of drowning. Read verses 24 and 25. And behold, there rose a great storm in the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves. But here's the thing. Jesus was asleep. So here we have the storm. We have the restlessness of the waves. And you have two different reactions to the waves. You have a, <laughs> you have a man who sleeps through it all. And then you have the disciples. Now, in another account of this, um, it says that Jesus was in the stern of the ship. So the, the idea was, it wasn't just, you know, we have the idea when we picture this in our mind that maybe it's, it's not all that big a boat, like a glorified rowboat. No, it was, a, it was a larger boat than that, enough for Jesus to go into the stern of the ship. And the Bible says that Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. So he was very comfortable. And this, this you know, and you can say, I can understand that when the, when the waters are calm, you can sleep through that. But when they get stormy, he's still sleeping. In fact, the disciples have to go to him and wake him up. The disciples, on the other hand, right, they, they went and they woke him saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. So there's consternation and there's fear on one hand, and there's Jesus who sleeps on the other. Why was Jesus sleeping? Why was Jesus sleeping? Kids, why do you suppose Jesus was sleeping of all things? Didn't he care? Right? Jesus is sleeping because we need to understand that Jesus is not only very personal and relational and a beautiful human being, but Jesus is king. And Jesus is Lord of the universe. And Jesus is controlling from beginning to end everything that is happening here. He controls, kids, kids, Jesus controls the storm. He's controlling the wind and he's controlling the waves. He's controlling the beginning of the storm. He's controlling the duration of the storm. And, he's gonna, and, 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 and also what we see is he controls the very end of the storm. One thing that we confess in this church and one thing we confess on the basis of the Bible is that God and Jesus is God. God is sovereign. And kids, when you think of God as sovereign, think of flexing of muscles. God is in control. God is all-powerful. And so we see that here. And we see that in the rest of the Bible and other stormy situations. For instance, there is a psalm, Psalm 29, that I term the God of the storm. And it's a, it's a psalm that revolves around a storm that begins in the Mediterranean Sea and it moves inland into the area of Lebanon. And what we see in Psalm 29 is that God is not aloof. God is not on the sidelines going, oh, this is very interesting. Interesting storm coming on land. I wonder how that's going to play out. God is guiding all things. If you take a look at Psalm 29, would you put it up there, please? 
Psalm 29, look at these words. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire and shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord strips the forest bare and in his temple all cry Hebrew, chabod. Chavod, the glory of God. It means the heaviness of God. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood, and he is king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people and bless his people with peace. Kids, you know what you see here? God is in the storm. God is in the wind. God is in the waves. God is in the floodwaters. God is in the thunder. God is in the lightning. He's in all of it. He's not observing from afar. And it's this very God who gives strength, and he gives the word here in the Hebrew, shalom, health and peace and blessing to his people. And this is what he promises for us as well. You know, what's, what's really, I, I think, rather interesting, this passage also, is that all of, all of what's going on in our passage with Jesus uh, being involved with the storm on the Sea of Galilee, um, it all comes in the context of Jesus' healing ministry. Now, you can't see it on the overhead, but if you have your Bibles, and this is why I always encourage you to take your Bible with you so you can look at other passages with me. But if you look at the beginning of chapter 8, we read that Jesus heals a leper. And then we go on to read that Jesus heals a paralytic. And then we read in chapter 8, verse six, uh, 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and he touched her, and her fever left her. So he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Verse 16, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And then, then comes the story of the storm. And then after that, Jesus heals two men with demons. And then chapter 9, Jesus heals a paralytic. And on and on, the healings go. So this is all, you have the story here that's sandwiched between all these accounts of the healing, powerful ministry of Jesus. But you think about it, the story about Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, he's also healing something here as well. He's healing the environment. He's healing the world that he made. He heals it. What did Jesus say? Shh, peace. Be still. And in doing this, what Jesus is doing, and this is what theologians call it an eschatological perspective. What that means is he's taking us here and he's pointing us forward. And where is Jesus pointing us forward? He's pointing to a time where he's going to heal the entire creation, not just the Sea of Galilee. So I think of the words of um, the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 21, where John says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven and the old earth passed away, and behold, no longer is there any sea. You know that the book of Revelation, that last book of the Bible, is filled with symbols. And that, that sea is symbolic of the restlessness the churning waters of the sea are representative of the churning waters of our lives and the difficulties and the anxieties that we experience. Not always peace, but agitation and anxieties. And one day, you know what? One day when Jesus returns from heaven, 
and he inaugurates this new earth, this new heavens and a new earth, it's all of a sudden, all these anxieties and all these difficulties that we experience in this life, we're not going to know anything about them anymore. And, and what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing forward to that time. But you know what? That time is not now. We look forward to it, but the time which we're living is, well, right now. Living in a fallen world, living with these fears, and living with these anxieties. Not always easy. All right. Now, what we see here is that the disciples are afraid, right? Not the world of healing yet, but they're afraid. There's difficulties. Now, their life is on the line, and they don't know if they're going to live or they're going to die. They just don't know. But I want to submit to you that the real reason why they're afraid here is not because ultimately they just think they're going to drown. The real reason is because they lack sufficient faith. Verse 25, they woke Jesus up and they said, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm and the men marveled. And they said, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now notice the fundamental problem of the disciples again. It's not that they ultimately think that they're going to die. The ultimate problem, it's not ultimately their fear, it's their, it's their faith. Kids, listen, when you look at the disciples, is it, does, this, does this really show that the disciples don't have any faith? They have faith. It's just a little faith. It's a teeny-weeny faith. And it's a, it's, it's a faith that does not allow them to place their trust in the Jesus who has always promised to care for them. And one other thing that's rather interesting in this passage, when the, when the disciples cry out to Jesus, it comes in the form of a statement. What do they say? They say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. That's a statement. Now, the interesting thing is, is when you go to the Gospel of Mark, he puts a little twist on that. The disciples cry out to Jesus, not in the form of a statement, but a question. And the question is this, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Not save us, Lord, we are perishing, but Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? Now, how many times isn't it the case that when we pray to God in the midst of our difficulties, we don't make a statement to him, but we ask him a question? Lord, don't you notice? Don't you see? Um, don't you care? We often, don't time, we often don't question Jesus' ability to save us in our situations, right? We question his willingness. Ask yourself these basic questions this morning. Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do I believe that Jesus is not only my Savior, but he is King and Lord of creation? Yes. Do I believe that Jesus is at the right hand of God, ruling over all things right now? Yes. 
Do I believe that the muscular sovereign hand of my Savior orchestrates all things in this world, whether good or in those times that are difficult? Yes. Okay. Those are more basic theological questions. Now, here are more heart questions. In the midst of my difficulties, do I really believe that Jesus loves me? Do I really believe that he notices my situation? Do I really believe that he's going to provide for me? Do I really believe on the basis of Romans 8 that nothing, nothing in all of created reality will separate me from my love? And sometimes, I think many times, if we've been walking in the Christian faith for some time, we go, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do believe that as well. But there's something else in us that does not allow what's in our head to be translated fully to our heart. There is a, what we call a grand disconnect at times. Because sometimes the situations that we face are so dire that they feel like those waves that are filling our boats and they're filling inch by inch by inch. And many times anxieties or the fears that we have are not something that we're suddenly faced with, but that we've been facing over weeks or sometimes months or maybe even years and years of time. And we're like, okay, God, yeah, I recognize that you are sovereign and all of that. And I, 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 know, I, I, I know that you love me, Lord, but... Okay, then why, why aren't you taking these things away? Why are you not lightening my load? That's another sermon in itself. There's various reasons why God does that. One of the reasons is to refine our faith and to deepen it, to teach us trust and teach us patience. And that is not easy when you're in God's waiting room. One man once said this, and I'll never forget this. It was a simple thing that he said. He said, you know, Many times, we don't question God's sovereignty, but we do, at times, question his love and his attention. And, he, and we, 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 we question not just if, but really when, when is he going to release me of this, this burden and this this sorrow, um, and this real potential for loss in my life. When, maybe if, is he going to deal with this? Does he notice? Brothers and sisters, Jesus says to us, just with his disciples, why, why do you fear? Why do you fear? Things are not as bleak as they appear. Is the church being persecuted? Yeah, but Jesus says, nonetheless, I am building it. Is the world a dangerous place? Jesus says, yes, but I still control it. Do I sometimes feel like as if I'm drowning? Yes. But Jesus says, you need to understand that though it appears that I am asleep and I don't care, I do care. And in my time and in my way, which may be according to a time in a way that we are not expecting, Jesus says, I'm going to relieve your burden. I may do it immediately, like to call me the winds, or I may take that bucket and just do this with your 
boat that's filling up. And over time, I'm going to release you from these things. What is our call? Our call is very simple. Our call is to pray and never give up praying. Because the Lord rarely answers right on the dot. Have you ever had that where you pray to the Lord and it's like within minutes you get an answer? Most of the time it doesn't happen. Sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's a year. But he always does answer at some point. So our calling is to pray. Our call is to run to Jesus. And our call is to very simply, with a childlike faith, rest our faith in him and trust him. That not only does he have the ability, but he has the willingness in hearing our prayers to alleviate our difficulties and to bring calm and to bring shalom to our lives just like he did his disciples. Okay? There's a reason why this story is in here. To drive that very point home to us. Think about these things. Think about them. Okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, the, the, the fact of the matter is we live in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. We live in a fallen world. And Lord, whether we are in the faith and have been Christians for some time or whether we are new to all of this or whether we are here this morning and we are like those who, who are very distant from you and have no living relationship with you other than just simply recognizing that you exist. Lord, in a sense, we are all in the same boat. We experience the anxieties and the difficulties of this world. Lord, help us this morning to realize that we have a resource in you. And that resource is a source of love and compassion and attention and care. Even though, oh God, it appears sometimes, maybe even for some of us right now, it doesn't even seem like you're paying attention, but Lord, we know that you are and that you do have a plan for us as we place our trust in you. Help us to do that, oh God, we pray. And then, Lord, let us look forward to the time when you begin, through the refinement of our faith, to bring us to a point of shalom. Lord, whatever we are facing, bring that to our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.